I'm Amber Brooks, a defender for the OL Reign, and I'm listening to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. Hello there, and welcome to episode 105 of the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. This is Charles, joined by Bennett. Woo! Bennett is back. Bennett is back. Hooray. No, Omari, though. Sad face. Um, you know, whenever we have a solid amount of stuff to go over, I always go, oh, we got a lot of stuff to go over. Uh, I have 17 pages of notes. Yeah, it's quite a quite a packed week this week, huh? Yeah, especially considering that we have two team recaps. So let's let's not uh, let us not dilly dally. Oh my gosh! And um, oh yeah, we have to start off the show with a disappointing thing. Yay! Yeah, so, this week. Your Seattle Seahawks, who have not been having the greatest of seasons so far, uh, took on the LA Rams at home in Week Five on Thursday Night Football under the lights. Uh, you know, they wore their action green uniforms. Russell Wilson's got a great career uh, overall record on Thursday night. They would lose that game 26 to 17 and lose Wilson in the process. Uh, we will speak more on the injury here in a second, um, but just getting into post-game thoughts. Um, ben and I have talked about this, you know, going back to last year. Uh, I I don't understand the leash that Ken Norton Jr. has I get it you know it's not always going to be up to one man but uh, there seems to be a common denominator in the fact that Ken Norton Jr. has been part of this defense uh, for years now and you know for these past few years we've seen the defense um, for major stretches of time be the worst defense you know yardage wise and uh, wise in nfl history um there's talent that's not being utilized there's adjustments not being made i saw a twitter breakdown uh, after the game where in the second half the rams kept running the same play again and again and again that screens or verts that was it was the one where they would have uh robert woods go over the middle yeah, they just weren't nobody, no adjustment, nothing, no change. That I mean, this is like when you're playing like a middle schooler on Madden, and he's not covering, he's not playing the right defense. They're just okay. That play worked. I'm gonna do it again. We're 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 right back to the cover two jokes. Yeah. So, um, that you know, as long as Mr. Norton continues to be a defensive coordinator or whoever seems to be in charge of this defense continues to do so. I'm, I'm just, they're, there's going to be a liability. I mean, I know that the defense to, uh, tuned up a little bit in the second half of last year, but I, I couldn't tell you what they did because they're not doing it now. That's for damn sure. Um, what the hell is up with Jamal Adams? I know that um, I'm not saying he's absolutely the worst player of all time, but there have been some situations. I, I, I watched that one play. Uh, with Deshaun Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. Um, and that was more so a combination of uh, Sidney Jones got beat on uh, his route. Jamal just made a bonehead play uh, in pursuit of the ball, you know, high pointing it. Um, but, you know, it's more so him as a whole. Why isn't he being utilized as much on the blitzing end of things? You know, because how did he make his money from last year? You know, getting that sack record was a big part of it. 
And normally I like Jamal Adams. I like his energy that he brings. Uh, I like that he's a, you know, multifaceted guy. And I've seen him make good plays. You know, made a good play on George Kittle last week against the 49ers. It's just more so. I saw a good tweet. I saw a good tweet, Bennett. You remember when we brought in Jimmy Graham and for the first few weeks, we tried to use him like an end blocker. I mean, first few years, we tried to use him like an end blocker. And then that one season, they actually used him right. They threw to the threw him in, in the end zone, got him involved, you know, used him as a big physical guy like they did in New Orleans. And then you don't bring him back. It's, it, it's a lot of this is indicative of the coaching staff and the way that they utilize talent. You know, I mean, guys like even last year, we were talking about us, utilizing DK correctly. And, um, you know, the big hope with Shane Waldron was that the offensive uh, side of the ball is going to utilize all the talent that we've got. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we see, uh, you know, for the past the first few weeks, Seattle was like number two in the league in offensive DVOA uh, for the first half of the game. And then the second half, 32nd. So what what is, you know, it's I'm not even holding the players accountable for this. This is coaching staff stuff, right? I mean, you got to think that they've got to be able, if you're a coach, you got to be able to put your guys in the right position to succeed. And that's not happening, not making adjustments, not utilizing guys correctly. I mean, you know, what do you think about that? Well, I don't know. It's a tale as old as time. You know, we, we've talked so much about the coaching staff in Seattle and how much we're really set in our old ways. And, you know, when we saw Shane Waldron come in, like you said, the hope was we'd start trending the right direction. But I don't know, I quit this to my to my dad. We were talking about it just not too long ago. And I was like, we fired the wrong coach. <laughs> like Schottenheimer, you, you look at those first six games of last year, we were 5-0. and uh, You know, the gas was really going. Russell was really going. So something was lost in that second half. And that that's okay, you know, because you lose your grip. The... Uh, defenses start to know how to cover dk whatever you know the 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 league throws you a curveball you bounce back you make it to the playoffs you beat the eagles then you lose whatever that's fine and good but then you will go and fire schottenheimer but then you keep ken norton let's be real the defense had a resurgence in the second half did that look good for ken norton of course was that probably just the defense wisening up to the fact that you know teams thought they could run all over them Yes. Uh, I think that in a lot of ways, Ken Norton probably, you know, started to turn around, but the second he started to see success, he said, okay, let's go back to basics. Let's, let's start uh, doing what we're used to doing. And that's going to be where the team starts to have a lot of issues because what they do does not help them win. In fact, it's quite the opposite, as we've learned with this last game against the Rams. This last game against the Rams was winnable with our backup quarterback in. I think that shows you that this team is talented. The, the raw talent on this team is not pointing towards a 2-3 and three record. I think the Chiefs are struggling with a very similar issue right now. Uh, amazingly stacked team, you know, on offense at least. And if you look at Seattle, we're stacked on defense too. We got we got some pretty talented players out there. Uh, the corners could be better, but you know, take that in stride. 
it has to come down to the coaching and it has to come down to Ken Norton, who's been on the team for probably far too long. He's friends with Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll. I listen, I've never been too on board the Pete Carroll hate train. I've said a lot of things were his fault and I can double down on that. And I, and I will double down on that. But at the end of the day, it, it is this ownership in action. It is this general manager in action and head coach in action that is going to start to tank our team a little bit. Now that Russell's gone, and this has been our greatest fear, obviously, you're really going to start to see how bad our coaching is. Hmm. Oh, boy. Hmm. I mean, think about it. You know, like, this guy is the only reason, aside from coaching, that our team is even good for, for some years, probably 2014, probably this year, actually, and last year, maybe. I wouldn't say so much last year. Last year, we were very talented. But definitely like 2014, 2015, there were some years where our receiver core was just Tyler Lockett and Doug. Love you, Doug. Um, but then the rest of our offense was nothing. <laughs> like we had the worst O-line in the league. Somehow Russell would make a play and we were fine. Uh, our defense was nothing. We still had like, what, Cam? Maybe Earl? Okay we'd never had both of them healthy at the same time. So like, yeah, Russell's been this team for a while. He's been our guy for a while, which is kind of hidden, you know, like a mask, the coach's flaws, especially on the offensive side. Now that we don't have Russ, there's nothing to hide that. And I think it's going to show just how ugly the coaching is in Seattle right now. And I don't want to sound like a one week I'm praising Pete Carroll one week. I'm not praising Pete Carroll. Cause I don't want to be a flip-floppy person, but I can also say that, you know, I think the narrative has been pretty consistent that Pete Carroll needs to get unstuck. And maybe I was a fool for thinking Shane Waldron was a trend in the right direction, but it obviously wasn't. So I I think it's just a, a matter of time to see how bad it can get. My thoughts on that last part there are, you know, we kind of saw, at least from what we heard about Schottenheimer, right, uh, and that whole exit, uh, it was a difference in, uh, you know, the approach going forward or whatever. Difference philosophy, yeah. So I'm interested in seeing how much of this Shane Waldron offense is really what Waldron wants and how much of it has maybe potentially been influenced by Pete himself because we know he's a creature of habit, you know, uh, obviously that goes stays true with keeping guys like Ken Norton in his position, uh, having Daryl Bevel for the time that we had Daryl Bevel. Um, I'm just, I wonder if Waldron's being, you know, for lack of a better word, like a, this is a dumbed down version of what, you know, he wants out there. Um so I don't know. I know that he's a creature of habit. I mean, you, I think I talked to you about it. Um, it was, we had a fourth and two in that game and they went for it, which is, I have no problem with that. It was the running the ball fourth and two. Right. And like if it was some sort of creative run or maybe you would let Russell actually keep it. It was funny. They let Gino run the ball, but not Russell. Um I don't know. It's it's a, a lot of it to me goes it hinges on the coaching staff because at this point I'm not disappointed. It's just I'm well I am disappointed. I'm not disappointed in the players and disappointed in the coaching staff for not putting these guys in the correct positions because I mean like you said there's a lot of talent 
you know, everybody wants to, you know, bash on Adams. He's got a lot of talent. I just don't think he's being put in the right position to succeed, you know. Um, so it's 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 frustrating to, you know, to stay on that train, to have all that talent and just essentially squander it and just not do anything with it. Uh, speaking of talent, I feel like, you know, more so now than ever, you're probably uh, regretting not having KJ Wright uh, just because of, at least in the games that I've been able to see, teams have had great success running, you know, screens on us. Um, and who always used to be able to snuff that out? But KJ. I mean, so. KJ had a nose for screens. And, uh, you know, if I, if, I, if I may for one second, I think that our issues with screens, that's not, in my mind, that's not ever a player issue. That is the coach drawing up the wrong play. You know, like to an extent, yeah. Should a player be able to sense a screen and you know suss it out? Oops, I said sus. Is that is that still a thing? I've been in a show for quite some time, so I'm kind of disconnected. But um, you know, we 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 don't evolve as a defense should evolve when you know they ran a screen maybe four times against us with their mm-hmm. third string, whoever the hell running back. Uh, and we're just dunking on us with it. And the second we started to go, okay, let's blitz the screen. They did a play action, dropped the dunk on us with Woods down the middle. It's like they're falling for every easy trick in the book. That's not a lack of talent. That's a lack of coaching. That's a lack of discipline. And, of course, discipline, you can blame the players if you're an old-school football player. But if you're a new-school football player who looks at analytics, who looks at you know numbers-driven football, which I know a lot of people hate, uh, but they shouldn't, because it's how the game's being played nowadays. You should know that if somebody pulls a screen on you five times and then you show blitz, they're going to dink you down the middle. Like, it, 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 to me, it's the most confusing things because my pea brain at home, watching on my phone while I, like, scooter to rehearsal, is I'm going, why are you, wh- where's the safeties? Where are the safeties? And then Jamal Adams is blitzing, and then all of a sudden Robert Woods is, you know, already 20 yards downfield for a... 25 yard gain it's like what are you guys doing why is jordan brooks covering robert woods mm-hmm. what's going on here well and then to to add on to that remember the buffalo game last year yep. everybody was criticizing jamal adams for his coverage he shouldn't nobody no safety in this league i don't think at this at this point in time should be covering stefan Diggs. yeah that's a so, corner i mean you know <laughs> bashing Jamal Adams for that that's insane and that goes back to uh the defense the uh the coaching staff for that and the rest of that game uh we had Quentin Dunbar <laughs> Quentin Dunbar and the other cornerbacks were all playing like 15 yards back and the Josh Allen oh, so, okay 10 yard completion 10 yard completion I mean it, it all comes down to preparation and these guys you know this coaching staff is not uh accurately uh you know preparing them for these situations so that you know it's 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 the talent's there and i wonder just for how many years the talent saved seattle you know with legion of boom with a guy like marshawn lynch you know at this point with russell wilson because now geno smith gets the ball out and this is no hate on geno i mean i think that geno's been in this system 
he's been acclimated with the personnel that we have here that he, you know, he's not going to fall flat on his face, but it's, um, Russell Wilson's true value will be shown. Um, I mean, I'll also say that, you know, you look at why the Legion of Boom worked with this coaching staff. I mean, on one hand, it is their experience and it is their moxie, but it's also their football IQ. And I'm not going to sit here and say Jamal Adams doesn't have an amazing football IQ. Um, But what I will say is that you have to, like you've been saying too, you have to put him in situations where he can let his brand of football IQ shine. He's not the best at coverage. We know that. That's not like a dig at him. It's just a soft spot in his game. You know, like, he's really good at blitzing. Quandre Diggs is not that great at blitzing. Quandre Diggs is pretty decent in the coverage. Jamal Adams is not that great in the coverage. So we start to see, like, yeah, these are really complimentary safeties. Why don't we use them better? Oh, because the coaching. They're both really talented, high IQ football players. Why are we succeeding? Oh, because they're getting put in the wrong positions on the wrong time and the matchups are all wrong. Cooper Cup is a lot like Stephon Diggs in a lot of different ways. You you shouldn't ever have your safeties on him. What are you doing? I know he was injured. Who cares? What? That's so dumb. Like, there's no excuse for letting this guy run wild in your deep secondary with no corners around him. I mean, I don't think we let him score on us, but he did get a couple good jabs in. Same with Robert Woods, whatever. He didn't actually get a touchdown. But, like, it doesn't matter because they get to, like, the 20-yard line and their podunk running back can just bounce it in and look like he's Derrick Henry. Okay. Speak on that. You cannot fit a square into a circle hole, can you, Bennett? No, you sure can't. So, I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing with under uh, incorrect utilization. So that's, I mean, until until that gets fixed, I'm like, hey, man, I, I just, I can't be mad. I'm just like, I know what's going on. I know what's happening that's wrong. But until it gets fixed, good luck. I mean, you can you can try and luck it out, and we'll see what happens in Pittsburgh next week. Uh, they had a good win against Denver. I don't know. Denver's an interesting team just because of the teams that they've beaten. Yeah. Um, but uh, they just lost Juju Smith-Schuster for the year. Uh, he went down with an injury. I'm not laughing at him. I'm laughing at the joke. Woo-woo, <laughs> shit poopster. Voodoo shit poopster. Um. I don't I don't know how big I didn't really watch I don't watch this this game so I don't know how big Ben looked but I mean in past few weeks he's looked like crap so I don't know we'll see they I mean if TJ Watt's healthy you know that's oh boy you know so I mean again it comes down to coaching staff because these great players can make as many great plays as they want but their effectiveness and their greatness can only be amplified or dulled by the position that they're put in week in and week out so um and then it's interesting that we talk about this because uh quandre Diggs said that it's not my job in response to figuring out what's wrong with this defense because he's right i mean i know that you know and 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 old heads are gonna like talk about how that's a sassy attitude and he i muted myself on accident and that he shouldn't have that attitude that is such bull like, no, he should have that attitude. It is not his job to go out there 
and mistake me if I'm wrong, or uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Quandre's not even a captain. No. So it's really not his job to go out there and solve this problem. Would it be awesome if he did? Yeah. But it shouldn't be on his shoulders. I, I, I love when football players, you know, have the guts to be real. You know what I mean? Because so many times they'll be like, oh, you know, we just got to get out there and we just got to get there and watch some film and, like, get stuff done. And, you know, we'll, we'll be back next week. Go Hawks. Um, whoever could I be making fun of that? Um, but for him to have the gall and come out there and just be like, it's not my job. My job is to go out and play football. Uh, he's He's right. Anyways, keep on going. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I know that free safety to an extent sees a lot of stuff and they might be able to point some stuff out, but nope, this goes back to coaching. Um, offense, I don't know. It was kind of interesting to me to see that the way that that drive with Geno Smith, the first one, obviously, uh, to see how that went. Because I don't know, it looked like Geno got a little bit more freedom. I mean, I think they let him get the ball on a a uh, like an option play and i don't know it's i'm interested to understand potentially why gino got that freedom uh when i don't know i would figure that you know i don't think russell like can't move right so i would well this is before the finger injury right um i'm interested to wonder why he russell doesn't get utilized as much in you know the option game as much i'm not saying go back to like 2013 and use the option all the time because you can't really do that um but i don't know there are a lot of times where the that dive where the play would normally look like russell could hold you know take the ball get some yardage um and just you know add another dimension to that play i'm interested to wonder why he doesn't take the ball anymore maybe just doesn't feel like it maybe that's a him thing or is that hey uh, i think to me it's like a paradoxical you know cyclical thing because they don't want russell to get hurt they don't do the option anymore he's a little older okay whatever what is he 30 two uh is that right that feels right let me i think he's a little bit older than that no 32 sounds correct yeah, he's 32 years old. He's about to turn 33. Um, oh, 333, and he's not even going to get to play. Sucks. Uh, um, he's, you know, he's older. Not a spry on his feet anymore. Um, there's an injury idea there, so they don't use him in the option. So now, whenever you line up to run up the middle, very obvious what he's doing. Uh, and then in that way, it sets up when he when he's gonna like you know drop back the pass. It's very obvious what he's doing there. We're not gonna run a quarterback draw. We haven't done that for four years probably. We just become the most predictable football team in the league probably. Quite honestly, I mean, unless you're looking at a team with a great running back, where it does like like the Titans, it doesn't matter if they're predictable. You know what I mean? They line up to run an ISO, Derrick Henry's going to get four yards. It doesn't matter. Like, okay. But the Seahawks run line up to run an ISO. You know Russell's not taking the ball. You know Alex Collins isn't a beast. He's going to run a yard and a half and get tripped up. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, quite honestly, because what ends up happening is you're so afraid of Russell getting injured, you're leaving him no option but to get hit hard in the backfield. And then he gets injured by Aaron Donald's 
big parking lot fighting self. You know what's uh to speak on that as well, you know, Russell getting hit. Um, I like I liked acquiring Gabe Jackson, right? I think we both like that. Um, but not getting a veteran center or an even just like a, a quality center was an issue to me, right? I think we talked about this leading up to the season. Uh, the one hole that I wanted to address was that was another hole that I wanted to address because I liked Gabe Jackson, liked acquiring that, right? That was good. Um, but I mean, I like Dwayne Brown. I like having Gabe Lewis. Okay. Got left tackle, left guard center. I wanted that to be addressed. Right. Right. Guard. Yeah. Fine. You know, Brandon shell played well when he was in. And it, it, even when he was out this year, it showed, uh, I mean, this year, I mean, we're only what, six weeks in now, but you know what I mean? Uh, but center, you know, Ethan Posich is a guy that second half of the season wasn't getting it done. Struggled through injury this year. You know, and then Kyle Fuller, who has struggled heavily, uh, you know, as your starter. So, yeah, that's another thing on the what front office not going out and really solidifying that line because there were options out there. Even in the draft, there were options out there. Yep. Um, and you said, no, we're okay with Ethan Postich. He'll be fine. And it's interesting that he got activated from IR this week. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the disappointments there and it kind of seems like we know what's going on, but until that's figured out, eh, I, well, I, I can't even be mad about it. Really. I just, cause I have no, I have no control. I just, I can't do anything about it. There's also just like a resigned, the players can't play any better than they are. <laughs> if they play any better, it doesn't really matter because they're still going to be in the same coaching system. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also just, uh, you know, I mean, like I said before, maybe if they were Legion of Boom caliber players, they could make it work. But let's mm-hmm. be they're not. And that's not a different them. I think they know that. Because um, the Legion of Boom was like the Iron Curtain. They're like a once-in-a-lifetime football uh, team. We're damn lucky to have them. Jesus Christ. I mean, looking at this stuff. The Seahawks were not a good drafting team. We're okay. Uh, Evan Hill, controversial young man, if I may say so. Mm. One of my favorites said, This is really going to expose that the Seahawks are not as smart as anybody thinks they are. And I think that's true. You know, for all the swindle trades, for all the um, draft picks, for all the drafting we do, for all the fleecing we are uh, allegedly doing. None of it matters unless you deliver. Last year, we didn't deliver. You should be pissed off with how he did last year. This year, we didn't deliver again. And who who from our draft is producing right now? Uh... Couldn't tell you. Is it unfair for me to ask? I mean, like, to, to an extent, yes, it is kind of unfair for me to ask. But on the other side of the thing, you know, you look at Kyle Pitts, who's been nonchalantly having one of the better uh, tight end seasons. Like, it's very quiet, but he just had his big game this week. Why the Seahawks never went after a player like that? You know? 
I mean, not Kyle Pitts in particular, but why not a headliner like that? Why do we have to abide by this Pete Carroll, John Schneider philosophy that, oh, we're going to go after everyone, you know, we're, we're going to go after, you know, who we think is a really good, uh, you know, uh, you know, who's going to really compete. Under the radar guys. Or... Under the radar guys, you know, we have our finger in all the pies, so, you know, we're going we're gonna to look out for that. Like, no, shut up. Like, just draft someone from Alabama and call it a day, dude. Like, you don't. <laughs> like, you well, see... and then that goes back to – um. I want to, I want to say something on that. Like the times that they've passed on a guy like, like a Buddha Baker, like why? Just cause he's undersized, you know? Uh, fuck. Yeah. Certain guys getting passed over because I'm not mad that they pass on Patrick queen. Cause I guess he's struggling lately. Yeah. And I mean, I'd take Jordan Brooks over Patrick queen at this point anyways. But yeah, I mean, it's like, do you have a problem that these guys were scouted and they say that they're good and then they end up being good? You don't always have to go, you know, because, yeah, I mean, at least in recent years, I mean, for a while now, you kind of missed on a lot of stuff. So, you know, getting Earl Thomas, great. Russell Okun was an okay draft pick. It's okay. I mean, he was here for a decent bit, but he did have a lot of holding problems. Um, Georgia George Fant. Uh, what was his name? What's what's Effetti's first name? Jermaine. Yeah, Jermaine Effetti. Yeah. Or Shad Penny. I think I can finally agree to that. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, but even when we drafted him, I was very upset. He's the. But yeah. I mean, that's. Of like how much our football team just doesn't make sense. And we're not even the fun type of not making sense, like the Mariners. Yep. We're just this like the. Not- not sense like the i don't know like the browns two years ago (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean it's a disappointing time to be a football fan in seattle at least because my huskies aren't doing too well either uh and oday lost this week i know east side what the hell disappointing so you know it's uh it's frustrating but in terms of the soccer football Things are going pretty well. We'll get into that in a bit. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, a lot of things factored into that loss. Uh, missed field goal didn't help. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, you might have been able to look at that. If you got the field goal, um, be able to look on that differently. Poor defense offense, poor defense and offense both factored into that loss against a division rival in the game that you probably could have – I mean, I you could have won that game, honestly. Uh, stat leaders, Russell Wilson barely led in passing. Uh, Geno Smith, I think it was at 136 in yards. Um, Russell, 11 completion, 16 attempts, 152 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Probably could have had two. I think there was one that the Rams dropped, actually, that was... Oh, God. Uh, Alex Collins led on the ground. Uh, Chris Carson was not able to go for this game. Oh, God. Speaking of injuries... Uh, 15 carries, 47 yards for Collins, receiving DK, five receptions, 98 yards, two TDs. So DK had a good game. DK, solid night. Um, if you were a DK uh, fantasy football owner, you were probably pretty happy with that one. Uh, tackles. Jordan Brooks led in tackles. 11 total, five solo, one tackle for loss. Um, and then turnovers. The only turnover that the Seahawks recovered was a Quandre Diggs interception. Good for Quandre on that. Uh, offensive MVP, DK. I think that's, ob- at least for me, that's obvious. Do you have any disagreement? Nope. Uh, defensive wise, 
Mm. I don't. They don't deserve an MVP. No, I was gonna say Jordan Brooks just because of his leading in tackles. But yeah, I mean, it's just. I'm just disappointed. I think you can tell by the way I'm talking and by this how I feel about it. It's, it's just disappointing. They get you know? the cap for the week. Hmm? They get the dunce cap for the week. Yep, yep, they get dunce cap. Uh, speaking of dunce caps, as we head <laughs> into injury news, uh, so prior to game time, the DK, ooh, D. Eskridge was placed on IR. Uh, wide receiver Philip Dorsett was elevated to the practice, the active roster in response to that move. Um, so the Eskridge dealing with a concussion that he suffered in week one. That's not good if he's still dealing with that in week five. So hoping that, you know, after that three week IR stint, you know, minimum IR stint that he's able to come back. Uh, most importantly, his health is taken into consideration because I mean, if you're dealing with a concussion for several, like a, say, several weeks, it's not a good thing. Um, tight end Joel Everett uh, was not able to go for that Thursday night game and missed the game due to COVID. So that is that was an issue. Uh, game day inactives were cornerback John Reed, running back Chris Carson, who's dealing with a recurring neck injury. Tackle Jake Curhan, tackle Stone Forsyth, and defensive tackle Robert and Kim Uh Post game, it was announced that Penny Hart played through a second degree knee sprain, which is not fun. Uh, quarterback Russell Wilson dislocated his middle finger, amongst other things. Uh, the team was unsure of his condition going out of the game. October 8th, Wilson saw a hand specialist in Los Angeles and underwent surgery. The surgery would pair two injuries in his throwing middle finger and would place several screws in that finger. Uh, the team is overall bracing for a six to eight week uh, time period. An optimistic report potentially had Russell returning in four weeks. Uh, and knowing Russell Wilson, guy's a fucking madman. So he'll probably try to come back in four weeks. Um, Monday, Wilson stated that he will be better than ever after surgery on his hand. And he spoke with Drew Brees for advice. The better than ever comments interesting to me. I'm like, unless they perform some sort of Star Wars Anakin Skywalker hand surgery on you, I don't know what else they could do to your hand to make you better. But hey. That's just me. Uh, and then Chris Carson is seen as day-to-day with the team trying to be careful with his recurring neck injury that has, quote-unquote, flared up. Uh, his status for week six against Pittsburgh is still currently unclear. So at least if I'm taking this, you know, taking it as a normal human would, right, Bennett? Uh, recurring neck injury. That doesn't sound good, does it? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. So um Alex Collins is great and all, but he's not exactly young, I don't believe. Um Shot Penny's probably playing his last year here in Seattle unless the team the unless Pete Carroll and the coaching staff wants to get everybody pissed off and say, Hey, you can come back. Um and Chris Carson, I mean, with something like that and with the continued, you know, uh durability issues i figure you have to be looking for a running back again and why you know listen okay. <laughs> <Bah>. <laughs> it frustrates me to no end because when we got chris carson back which was not expected remember remember we were not expecting that nope we were expecting to be carsonless this year it was a pleasant surprise yep but i wish we did some shopping 
You know what I mean? Give him somebody to push him? Yeah, give him somebody to actually push him. Because Alex Collins, I mean, <laughs> I'm an Alex Collins fan. I like Alex Collins. But what the fuck does he know about being a starting one? Not much, because there's a reason we released him initially. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think he's a good running back. But I don't know if he's he's not starting caliber obviously because otherwise he'd be a starting quarterback or running back somewhere else he like had a stint in the ravens running back merry-go-round and it didn't really end that great for him but why not look out for these people that were free agents i i, I know there weren't that many you know but that, yeah or just give somebody uh, a chance mark ingram went to the freaking texans i could be I could get jiggy with Mark Ingram. I could have gotten jiggy with Mark Ingram too. Like w- the dude's an amazing running back, and we just let him walk over to the 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 Texans of all people. Like why? And I <laughs> I'm just so bum puzzled by it because like he's not a bad running back, and neither is Chris Carson. Don't get me wrong, but like we just stuck by our guy instead of putting somebody into at least like light a fire under his ass and i know budget or cap whatever you want to call it football lingo was a big issue this year but again at the same time why not get somebody in here to light a fire under his ass also furthermore why not get somebody in here just in case he shits the bed and gets injured again yeah because you saw in what 2019 where all of our running backs died yeah. We had to like put up the March on signal to get March on to come back. And then Robert Turbin came back, which nobody talked about as much, but he decided to come back too. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't get a safety valve. Because um, I'm sure, yeah, you looked at Rashad Penny, but I'm sure he, I'm, I'm hoping he was already on thin ice, right? You know, right. both of those guys just with their ability issues. So, yeah, uh, I think in the offseason, Bennett, we're probably going to be talking about, hey, Kay, uh, what do we do with the running back? Hmm? I got one, CJ Procise. <laughs> we're not doing the show anymore. <laughs> uh, and then Monday for injury news to wrap it up, uh, Gerald was active. Gerald. Gerald, run a first Gerald Everett was activated from the COVID-19 list. He is on track to play Sunday versus the Steelers. And Ethan Postich will return from the IR. So I don't know how much of an improvement that is over Kyle Fuller, but we will see. Spoiler, it's not. Uh, No team notes because we've kind of already gotten them over. Uh, In league related news, uh, the NFL, there's a lot of news surrounding the NFL PA head. Uh, NFL PA head, Demoris Smith, uh, is expected to be moved on after his next term. Uh, after a close vote reflected an internal dissatisfaction. Uh, on October 8th, it was announced that Smith will serve a final term following a close vote. The term will last anywhere from one to five years. Uh, he will also help to find an eventual successor. Uh, he did so due to a vote by the NFLPA's Board of Representatives with the minimum number of votes. So now he's in the news for that, um, but also- as well as emails from 2011 to 2018 from John Gruden released John Gruden being the now ex head, yeah, ex head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. 
uh, in the emails, at least regarding Smith, uh, Gruden made a remark about the size of DeMora Smith's lips, amongst other things. Uh, the other things that were spoken about in these emails that range this again, you know, everybody like the, the people like to defend this kind of behavior They go, Oh, well, people change. These emails spanned a seven year time period from 2011 to 2018. So this is continued behavior. This is something that continued to happen with Gruden. Uh, Gruden shared emails with former Washington football team executive, Bruce Allen, containing topless pictures of women, including the Washington football team cheerleaders at the time. Uh, he bashed the hiring of, this is Gruden, by the way, he bashed the hiring of women as referees in the league, uh, was very, very against the drafting of a gay player in the league, which interesting enough, the Raiders have an openly gay player, um, and made other racist. Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> made other racist, misogynistic, and homophobic comments. So, Bru- Jay Gruden, bad guy. Bad guy. Wait, John Gruden. I don't know about his brother. Yeah. Uh, John Gruden, bad guy. Um, no. So, ironically enough, John Gruden was announced, it was announced that he was no longer going to be the head coach of the Raiders on Monday Night Football, where he was an analyst for several years. Um, I guess on Monday, after the things played out over the weekend, um, uh, what's his name? Shoot, what's the owner of the Raiders? Uh, is it? It's not Al. Oh God, the weird looking fella. Well, his dad, his uh, his dad owned them first. Mark Davis. Is it Mark or is it his son? Is it Mark? Is alive? His dad is Al. Oh, yeah, Mark. So, Mark, I guess what happened on Monday was that Mark Davis drove to the facility, found Gruden, who was still at the facility, and said, hey, you got to get out of here. Oh, shit. (laughs) That's kind of threatening, especially with that man's sweet haircut. But what's interesting enough is that um, what, what Gruden said about the way that he resigned... Uh, his statement, um, I have resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. I love the Raiders and do not want to be a distraction. Thank you to all the players, coaches, staff, and fans of Red Nation. I'm sorry I never meant to hurt anyone. So he's resigning for being a distraction, not anything else. Interesting. So, yeah, that's uh, there's a lot going on. What the? What? Sorry, weird text. Um, no. So yeah, no, John Gruden. I'm just. I was never like a John Gruden homer. I was like, oh yeah, this guy's cool. But just to see all this stuff and the you know the fact that this is all uh, taking place and it's just so amazing that people want to defend him and be like, oh, people change. 2018. It's three years ago. 2011. 2018. I've seen character growth in myself in a one-year span. So I don't know what John Gruden was doing, but it wasn't growing. That's for sure. Um, I, I, I don't want to sound like this guy. I have always hated John Gruden. So I this is just... Confusing. No, that's okay, because my dad did too. He goes, I always thought he was a weirdo. I'm like, I yeah. know. I, I just had this weird feeling there was something weird about him. You know, 
Uh, but I don't know. You think the Raiders want their money back? <laughs> yeah, I kind of wondered about that. I want to be like, hey, I wonder if Mark was like, hey, buddy, give me the fucking money back. <laughs> they dropped how much money on? They like dropped a lot of money on him. Ten years, hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of money for a guy who made it what two years into his ten. Really? I thought it was 2018. Yeah, no, he barely... Well, he didn't even hit halfway. Yeah, not even. Freaking three years in, three or four years in. Idiot. Yeah. So, um... Like, stupid, you're an idiot. Jay Sean Gruden, you're stupid. <laughs> like, you had a almost a guaranteed job for the next 10 years until you retired. Yep. And you went and screwed it by being a numb nuts. Because not to bash too much on the Raiders, but they're not exactly one to shy away from mediocrity. So I think they would have kept him for a while. Look at the <laughs> they had. They, yeah, so. Um, John Gruden, bad person. Let's um, just hope brother's better, because weirdly enough, I don't mind Jay Gruden. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. In <laughs> uh, and, and, and lighter NFL news, the NFL is headed to Germany. Question mark, question mark, Bennett. Uh, The NFL will unveil three finalist cities on Tuesday as it remains committed to having regular season games abroad. So the NFL is like really like, oh, we need to have games abroad. I don't know why that's an obsession they have. Um, But I guess if fans overseas have fun with it, I don't really care. I mean, if they enjoy it, that's all that matters. You know, I don't have the money to go out to these things. And the CIO, I think they do want the Seahawks to do that again. Um. That's if I remember correctly, we're like do. Yeah, because we played <laughs> we played Marshawn's Raiders actually. With, who else uh, was who? Who else was involved? With those Raiders, Bennett. John Gruden. <laughs> yeah. Funny how things go. It was his first season because they wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. Yeah. <laughs> John Gruden returning to the Raiders, getting his ass whooped. <laughs> Derek Carr just got circumcised by Russell Wilson. <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not just super. I don't go. Hey, they're gonna play in Germany, and I don't get like really excited. Um, uh, but hey, you know, at 3 a.m. to watch them play. <laughs> yeah, no, I woke up that on Sunday, and they're like, "Oh, I got." I saw a notification all the way down at six in the morning. It's like, "Oh, get up! It's the Jets and the Falcons." I'm like, "Oh, uh, <laughs> no thanks. I'm good." I mean, I caught the end of it. Oh, and I benched Kyle Pitts. That's anyway. I started him in our league. Um, the Seahawks sit at a two and three record. They are fourth again at the current time being in the NFC West. They could go back up if the 49. 49- wait, no, wait, hold on. The Niners lost. So that means we go back up, right? Uh, Yeah, because we beat them. I was kind of hoping that the Niners would have won, though. To knock- well. I don't want the Cardinals to run away with the lead. Uh, let's check. Let's check to be sure. Yeah, we're third place. Yay, mediocrity. Yay. And our next game is week six, October 17th at the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday night football. And it's really funny because uh, I was watching Monday night football. And interestingly enough, they played an advert with Russell Wilson in it. Whoops. And they featured him heavily. Yeah. Well, luckily, Pittsburgh's also kind of dog cheeks. So. It's funny because they go Seattle's electric offense. I'm like, just put a picture of Geno Smith and we'll be good. Yeah, like paste Geno Smith's over. <laughs> just put Geno Smith's drive in there. That's it. That's all you need. 
Um, okay, heading into the Seattle Mariners, we have our end of the season recap. So that's exciting. That's good. Getting away from that dirty, dirty John Gruden man. Um, we're getting right into it because we have a hefty amount of things to go over. Uh, so from we have we have several different categories here. We have most valuable player, comeback player of the year, surprise player of the year, rookie of the year, best infielder, best outfielder, best starting pitcher, best relief pitcher, players to say goodbye to, holds to fill, main issues, potential additions, ooh, ooh, best game, and then what to look forward to. So uh, Bennett will be joining me for this excursion always. Um, we're going to start with MVP. We're going to start with Bennett. Who did you have for most valuable player? And I want you to give me a little summarization there. Don't, you know, we do have uh, things to go over, so I can't have you write me a book about it, sadly. But uh, I want I want to know about your MVP uh, for the Mariners for the 2021 season. Mitch Hanniger. Okay. You can elaborate. Uh, probably was the best, I mean, production-wise player on the team. He really wasn't challenged by anybody in terms of offensive production other than Kyle Seager, and you can't necessarily hand Kyle Seager an MVP as much as you'd like to. Uh, his consistency just wasn't there. Very boomer bust player. I think Mitch gets the nod because he's consistent in pretty much every facet of his game. He had a little bit of a waiver there coming out of the All-Star break, but, you know, just two weeks after that, he was right back on track. Um... His end of the year, like October, or like, you know, the beginning of October, the first four days, September and end of August, were all pretty stellar, not going to lie. So um, Mitch gets the nod for me. That certainly makes sense. Um, and I'm sure we'll see Mitch here again for a certain category. But at least for me, um, when I thought of Mariners baseball this year, uh, I thought of J.P. Crawford. Uh, and I go for more of a, you know, production uh, as well as defense, as well as just the presence that he had. I feel like for a good amount of the year, uh, JP was the face of this ball club, um, had a great June. Um, and, you know, at the end of the season, it seemed like um, in the like sort of an excerpt interview of, of sorts, uh, it seemed like JP was taking over the sort of captain or leadership mantle that Kyle Seeger had for so long. And it's so funny to think that JP Crawford's one of the guys that's been a longer tenured Mariners. Uh, just weird to think about that. Um, but, you know, unless some miracle happens and for some reason, Jerry DePoto and Kyle Seeger fix whatever relationship they have. Uh, and Kyle Seeger returns to Seattle to, you know, effectively finishes out his career here. Um Looks like JP is going to take up that mantle. Uh, had the best year of his career. Uh, and as I said, with Kyle Seeger more than likely headed for free agency, uh, probably take over the leadership mantle. Um, nine home runs this year from JP. Not, I'm, I wouldn't say he's like a D Gordon in that. Res- I mean, he's kind of like D Gordon in that regard, but I'd say he's better on the defensive end of the ball. Uh, had a 3.8 war this year, which is pretty damn good. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's high in the voting for uh, Gold Glove again. Uh, I really like it if he got that Gold Glove again, but we'll have to see that. But yeah, I feel like uh, JP for a good amount of the year was the face of Mariners baseball for me. Uh, and then coming into comeback player of the year, um, I'm going to rotate it here. Uh, I'm, uh, at least for me, it's hard to not pick a guy like Mitch. 
uh, you know, not playing at all in 2020, missing most in 2019. Uh, at least for me, and I think you can remember this, I was a little bullish on whether or not we'd see Mitch, you know, pass the trade deadline, right? Um, he lit it up. He really did. Um, and, you know, his last, yeah, that September, October, it really felt like for an extent of the time, he was just trying to will this team to keep going. Um, second most in homers in a season after not playing the year before. Uh, the only guy above him was Willie Mays, of all people. Uh, ranked first in runs, tied for first in homers, second in RBIs and total bases, tied for third in extra base hits among American League outfielders in 2021. Uh, his 45 RBIs in the seventh inning and later were the most in the majors. Uh, 2.9 war, 1.22 OPS plus, 8.84, no, 0.804 on base percentage, 64 extra base hits. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, at least in MVP as well, you could either, you could easily go with Mitch Hanniger. Uh Do you have somebody different, Bennett? For the comeback player? Mm-hmm. I want to go with Mitch. Come on. Uh, <laughs> actually, I, I had some issue with this one. I, I didn't want to just give it to Mitch because I've given like everything else to Mitch too, including MVP and including uh, something else that I think is pretty obvious. Uh, <laughs> I think like well, I, it, it's such an interesting thing because he never really got to get his footing. You know, and he's been out for so long. There was a point where what when he first bat this year how many months had he gone without playing baseball like jeez oh close to like 20 months yeah i have to say it's in that range can you imagine doing something you haven't done for 20 months and do it as well as mitch hanniger did baseball this year no i mean like i can't even think like what okay it's something i did 20 months i don't know like acting on stage I haven't done that for forever and I did it for the first time, you know, not too long ago. And I can say with like assuredness, I did not do as well as I could have done. You know, Mitch comes back out of nowhere for not doing this for 20 months, longer time than me not acting on stage. Dude lights it up, has a career year almost. And, you know, just is a standout player on the Mariners. It's, 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 it's really interesting to see him have that much strength coming back from not playing. It really speaks to his dedication to the game too. Um, so yeah, I got to give the Mitch. Who was your surprise player of the year? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'll eat the fat on this one. It's got to be Chris Flexen. Uh, I, I screwed up, you know, count this guy out before he even had a chance to play on our team. You know, you rub the puppy's face in the pee and maybe write an article about him. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong about this guy. I, I because thought... <laughs> I don't know. It was, I I was I was so wrong about him right off the start, and you know, before everything got crazy with my life, I was like, yeah, I'll write some articles, and uh, and the first, you know being Chris Flexen just felt like somebody spitting in my face because I did not expect this guy to be anything for our team. I expected him to be just about as good as Deho Lee on the other side of the ball. You know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> like, yay. A fan favorite, maybe. 
but I just expected it to be a big pile of nothing. And Chris Flexen went out there and was probably our best pitcher, uh, bar none, in the entire team, in the entire clubhouse. So Chris Flexen really subverted all my expectations and was definitely my surprise player of the year. Um, so just just for being different, I picked Paul Seawald. Yeah. Um, Seawald's okay. got a really similar story, funny enough. You know, guys that didn't pan out with the Mets – uh, came over to the Mariners. Obviously, Chris went to the KBO first, um, but came over to the Mariners. Uh, it's funny. Seawald was the opening day pitcher for the Tacoma Rainiers. Did you know that? I did not know that. <laughs> so what a what a story. Um, from there, joined the club. And I remember, you know, I saw a guy warming up one of those days in the pen named Seawald. I was like, oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> 10 wins, three losses, man. 3.06 ERA. 11 saves, 104 strikeouts, 1.02 whip, 0.76 average, pretty good. Uh, 3.08 FIP, and a 1.6 WAR. 1.6 WAR from a reliever. It's got to be pretty high in terms of Mariners relievers uh, WAR all time. Um, I've got it well for a season. I gotta say Edwin Diaz probably has a higher one for his great year. Uh, he was second most in the majors in strikeouts by a reliever this year. So, uh, Paul, I mean. I think the, you could give the – if you wanted to do it for a position group, you could give surprise position group to the bullpen because uh, I didn't really expect a bunch of the – we were looking at it, yeah, we were like, who the hell's the closer going to be, right? <laughs> uh, we were like, maybe Rafael Montero. <laughs> what I would, I'll say this for sure. I was so right about Montero. What did you say about him? I forgot. I was like, this guy has barely ever been a closing pitcher. He's a <laughs> starting pitcher. He's a failed reliever, and he's only been a closing pitcher for a year. Yeah, so. uh, Raphael, don't listen to Bennett. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, big guy. Believe in your dreams. Sorry. I still man. don't know why Houston was like, hey, yeah, can you throw him in the trade too? Um, I don't even think, did he, like, did he do anything for them? Uh, he got injured, funny enough. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, rookie right. of the year. Rookie of the year. Uh, I had Senior Jared. Obviously, when he was initially called up back in May, I thought that was early, but you know. Um, so Kelnick, you know, he saw a rough beginning to his career, uh, especially putting him in leadoff. I thought that was a little odd. I'm like, you're gonna just throw him right out there. Uh, but what you know, what can you expect from a guy who's 22 years old? Uh, his month of September was much more indicative of his potential, I believe, uh, and the way that he persevered, you know, and really was able to battle back, uh, should give Mariners more of an idea. Mariners fans more of an idea, uh, and more excitement about the, you know, nice young man from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Um, I, I, I think this is going to be a guy that can has a great off season. You know, really gets better. Uh, it's going to come out. And I remember in spring training, that was the biggest deal, right? Because everybody wanted to see him. Uh, and I was watching the spring training game where they were interviewing Scott and they're like, oh, what do you think he needs to do to be on the opening day roster? Uh, and Scott was like, oh, something special. And then the dude hits a home run like during the interview. It's like, oh, OK. Um, yeah, I think Jared's going to be just fine. Just fine. And I would agree with the guy that Bennett picked for this award. Right, Bennett? Yes, I got to go with uh, Logan Gilbert. Just, again, kind of for the sake of keeping it, uh, keeping it, you know, 
unpredictable. Uh, had a pretty fantastic year for a rookie pitcher, uh, especially in some tight situations, going up against some pretty intense teams. Think about, I don't know, the Yankees, one of the better teams this year. Obviously, they made the playoffs. Or, well, they did. Well, I don't know. Do you count that as a playoffs? I'm not entirely sure, actually. Um, but he goes in there, throws a one-hitter, and wins. You know, you, you don't expect that from a rookie pitcher, especially not going against people like, I don't know, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. So uh, I don't even know if either of those guys were playing that day. They could have both been out. Oh, no, they but... were. So there you go. I think Stanton uh, had the only hit for them. There, Yeah, you know, you're going against these guys who are like legends in their time, and you have Logan Gilbert out there, 23-year-olds, and pissing himself, and he <laughs> – Pissed down his leg. <laughs> Pissed down his leg, hat on his head, fastball in his glove, and he's just... <laughs> I can conquer the world. With one pitch. It's just, like, ridiculous. So, I mean, that just goes to show you how much potential this guy has. I think he's going to be a fantastic pitcher for us going forwards. And I think, he, I mean, in a lot of ways, he's the answer to our rotation question. Uh, if only we could get the rest of a, you know, lineup that would stay healthy the entire year. But... I think Gilbert should be the most promising thing to happen to the team um, this year, in my opinion, just because, of course, Kelnick is, like, amazing to have on the team because he's one of the best prospects, I think, that has gone through the organization for quite some time. But you got to give credit where credit's due. And in terms of pitching, Gilbert's the cream of the crop uh, when it comes to rooks right now. And I, I couldn't have asked for a better rookie pitcher to come in. And, you know, six wins, five losses, that's nothing to spit at, uh, especially for a rook. So I'll take that. Yeah, I am a guy who's liked Logan um, since he got called up. I thought that was – that. that uh, to be fair, too, I'm not going to bullshit you. Probably I early. Thought, huh? Probably early. Yeah, because he didn't really get much time in AAA. But – you know, he was a guy that he's got an overpowering fastball, but can work on some of his uh, his his secondary pitches. And I think he'll tell you that himself. Um, one of the funnier thing, two of the funnier things. All right. That I'll share about Logan. Um, it, I got I was so I, I didn't realize this until like weeks after I had it. But I have like one of the few pictures that I've ever seen him in where he's smiling and I'm in it with him. I don't ever, you know, like if you look at Logan Gilbert on a start day, Buddy looks like somebody like raided his house and he's just pissed. Um, <laughs> he, he just, he has a very, very accurate game face. And then the other thing would be that, um, oh shoot, what is the other thing? I just lost my train of thought. That's terrible. Oh yeah. Uh, towards the end of the season, uh, I think when it was kind of known that Logan, I think, Logan would have pitched if we had a play-in game or a wild card. I think that might have been what would happen. But, um, you know, the last few games of the year during BP, Logan Gilbert was in the outfield running around like an outfielder trying to make catches on balls. I'm like, dude, you're 6'5". You can't be doing that. Yeah. It, it was funny because he was, like, jumping on the wall and shit. I was like, hey, buddy, can you calm down a little bit? All right? I get it. If you have to play tomorrow, please don't get like, Yeah, please don't, like buckle your knee or something all right yeah, but anderson had other plans so yeah anderson actually had a vacation in like kentucky or something i guess wow good for him he shows up on my list um <laughs> we'll get to him in a little bit 
Uh, best infielder. Uh, floor is yours, senor. Oh, J.P. Crawford, hands down. I mean, like Ty France can you can make an argument for Ty France, but you know if we want to like talk infielders, you can't really get better on the Mariners right now than J.P. Crawford. He had the best fielding percentage. He had uh, one of the best averages and most consistent hitting seasons. He had one of the highest wars. He had the second highest war, only second to uh, Ty France, who probably just had a better hitting season than him. Um. And was a little more utility, so you could kind of shift him around a little bit. Uh, so Crawford, gotta love the guy. He, like you said, he's probably the face of the franchise for a better part of this year when Mitch wasn't exactly being as electric as Mitch can be. Uh, so yeah, gotta give him JP. Yeah, um, when I was doing my list, it was for MVP or best infielder. Honestly, if I'm being, I was being the number dummy. But I was like, at least when it came to best infield, it was like, you could either toss it up here. And I could probably do a co-award. I could probably split this one in two, just like get um, get Vision to like split the award like he did Thanos and what if, right? Just have him split it right down the middle. Um, after the San Diego trade, I pegged Ty France as one of the guys that was a better piece of this trade. Because that trade for Austin Nola was insane as we keep looking at it. Luis, fine, but Ty France, you know, is a great bat, and he had a great defensive year, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but, you know, you get a, a good amount of it. You get, like, a, a, a bounty for a catcher that uh, I don't – it's really not that incredible. Um, hey, yeah. And, you know, depending on the way that Matt Brash plays out, you did uh, – I mean, for him to be a player to be named later in that trade – pretty good um but yeah he had an incredible 2021 he started out at second base funny enough um but yeah, he took over first base and to be quite honest i don't see him giving that place up um 166 hits 85 runs one triple on the year right 18 homers 73 rbis 46 walks a 291 average which led the team a 368 on base percentage a 446 slugging uh, 812 on base plus slugging 27 times he was hit by a pitch uh, 254 total bases a 4.2 war and a 128 on base plus slugging uh, rated as the Fangraphs best defensive first baseman in 2021 and he led as he led the American League in fielding percentage and ultimate zone rating so he wasn't just a bat this year he was not just a bat um and it'll be exciting to see ty uh continue it's, i got a funny story about ty too um i met ty back in may leaving the stadium right um and i, I also i met him a little bit uh oh i think it was the wednesday after the uh the ain't the athletics game we had just swept the athletics uh i was i had bought one of the uh, Steelheads helmets we had, we had the game used Steelheads helmets, right? And I was wearing it out because I was a smart guy. I bought it and I wore it because I liked it. I looked <laughs> very, very good wearing a, a batting helmet, right? Yeah, of course. I'm leaving the stadium and somebody behind me goes, oh, hey, Charles. And I go, the hell? And there's Ty France. I go, oh, hey, Ty. And he goes, where do you get the helmet? And I go, I, I bought it. And he goes, oh, okay, good job. <laughs> Thanks, Ty. Uh, so that was a funny interaction that he would one remember me, but two compliment me on my nice helmet, right? 
Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's a nice helmet. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ty France, I had, you could you could split the award for best infielder, uh, best outfielder, Mitch Haniger. I I don't think uh, Bennett has any disagreement here. Nope. Uh, best starting pitcher, I had Chris Flexen. So Flexen, similar to Bennett, um, mentioning his comeback player of the year. You know, like Seawald, started the his career off with the Mets, had a rough start to his career, spent some time in the KBO. Jerry Depoto said, hey, that guy's kind of cool. Um, he only brought him over for his name, obviously. You know, end the year with a 14-6 and six record, which I don't th- – yeah, no, we can talk about how cool he was, but neither of us had him finishing anywhere like that. Uh, 3-6-1 ERA, hunt, pitch 179.2 innings, 125 strikeouts, a 1.25 whip, uh, 268 average against, 3.89 FIP, and a 3.5 war. 3.5. Jeez, that's pretty good, man. Pretty good. Do you have a disagreement on best starting pitcher? Of course I do. It's no, it's it's Chris Flexen. Marco did, you know, to be fair, Marco did have a great second half, uh, especially after the All Star break, right? Oh yeah. Uh, Chris, I think Chris kind of took the cake and that's no discredit to Marco, but I just, you know, I think he, uh, I think he edged him out. Excuse me. Um, best relief pitcher, Ben, I'm gonna let you start. I gave mine to Paul Seawall. Uh, you can't ask much more. You can't really ask much more from a relieving pitcher. Uh, he didn't have the most like lights out stuff. I think his, uh, whatever. I lost my tab. Uh, his <laughs> his strikeouts I don't think were that high. I think actually uh, Rider had a beat out for that. But I think his ten and three record. That's I mean to tie for second in the club for most wins as a pitcher. That's ridiculous. I mean you don't ever express expect that out of you know I mean ten and three for a starting pitcher is a lights out year. So. I mean, to get that out of a uh, reliever who's 31 years old and kind of just came out of nowhere and landed in your laps. I mean, what what more can you ask for? I'm a liar. Paul Seawald's strikeout numbers were ridiculous. <laughs> I'm a liar. Well, he, thanks, Bennett. 104. Holy shit. Like, come on. That's a reliever and he's 104 strikeouts? Maybe that's saying something that we use our relievers maybe too much. But at the same time, our bullpen, like you said, probably the most surprising player uh, player group of the year. Second rider, Seawald, and to an extent, Sadler, had just these crazy good years. And they came in without much precedence and turned in an amazing season. Each of them, each of those three guys that I said, I think pulled in. Uh, yeah, and then, I mean, to your point, Sadler's a guy that I haven't mentioned enough. I mean, uh, I don't know how many innings he pitched, but to have a 0.67 ERA, it's pretty damn good. I mean, even after 40 innings, you, you got it. I mean, like, that's praiseworthy. Even if it wasn't like you weren't breaking the 50 innings, which I think is where you start to like look at a pitcher's numbers pretty seriously. Um, 40 innings for a 0.67 ERA. That's pretty amazing for Sadler there, but Seawald, I don't know. The dude kind of comes out of nowhere. Like you said, was a pretty failed Mets pitcher. 
uh, and then kind of waddled over to the Mariners um, and just like, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's hard to quantify how somebody who went from a 13.5 ERA in, uh, (laughs) in six innings for an entire season comes to the Mariners and posts a what? 3.01 or something like that. Three point. I don't know. Six. Very close. Six ERA. I, I don't know how you do that. And I don't know if our pitching coaches have the secret sauce. Pete but Woodworth. Pete Woodworth. Feels like they do because Flexen and Steckenrider and Seawald and Sadler all kind of came out of nowhere. You know, I, I said Pete Woodworth jokingly because I think Pete Woodworth's cool. But that's a good point. Uh, there was an interesting article that I read. Um, it was a quote. It was from Sean Doolittle, who was excited to be with the Mariners because of the fact that uh, he had seen what they've done for guys like Seawald, like Flexen getting the most out of the stuff that they've got. And that's, I'd hope that'd be something that, you know, attracts free agents to come here because, you know, there will be guys who won't come back, I'm sure. And maybe guys that the team wants to move on from, but to have, um, to have that, you know, to have a veteran like Sean Doolittle see that say, Hey, they know what they're doing with their pitching staff over there in Seattle. I'd hope that's a good sign. And that is, you know, that's a good thing. Hey, that's a good thing that see some coaching staff is utilizing their players correctly. Woo. Anyway, um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I like that you brought that up. Uh, speaking of people to be brought up, players should say goodbye to. Wah, 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 wah. Um, I think we both have Tyler Anderson here. I want to. Wait, you didn't say your best relief pitcher. Oh, Paul Seawald, easily. Oh, okay. Second <laughs> second rider should get credit, but I feel like Seawald was a guy who. Um, Seawald's my pick. Um, but yes, uh, Tyler Anderson. Bye. Uh, I feel like he fulfilled his role. I mean, I know the Mariners started off the year with a six man rotation, and then you know, with Paxton going down in his first inning, God bless his soul. Um, having to go to a six inning rotation and stay with it just because you know you wanted to manage the innings that your pitchers were pitching and might have thrown off some of your guys. Um, that was difficult. And so you bring Anderson in a guy who's going to eat up innings and become the fifth starter that you needed. Uh, he, I think he fulfilled his role for the most part, right? Uh, he had some good starts. I mean, I think he had a good streak of going five innings and only allowing two or less runs. That's pretty good. Um, but I, at, at the end of the day, he's a low end starter and probably will be the low man out, the odd man out. If, if, you know, he somehow stays on the roster uh, come opening day. So, uh, and, and Seattle needs to uh, chase a top of the rotation arm. And they said that they're going to do that anyway. So I feel like the writing is on the wall for a guy like Tyler Anderson. Yep. I mean, that's my same pick. And I think you put it perfectly. Guy just, I don't think he has a place on the team next year. I don't really know why he had a place on the team this year. So I think he'll be, Bidding bitter farewells to our fair lady Anderson, fair guy Anderson. I just was talking about my fair lady in class the other day. That I was, was not... like, okay, Bennett. <laughs> yeah. My fair man, Anderson. What's his first name? Tyler. 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 You know what? I'm going to make fun of you for anything. It's your first name's Tyler. 
Um, you're a bad pitcher. Did you only have one person to get rid of? Uh, yeah, I didn't really feel like just dunking on a bunch of people, but I mean, like, oh. I did. <laughs> uh, okay. Justice, Sheffield, Justice Sheffield. That's my other one, Justice Sheffield. Yeah, just to touch on that, that's kind of tough. Uh, he's had tough, you know, comes over. I think he was part of the, uh, is he part of the Yankees deal? I think he was part of the Yankees deal. Um, this didn't really put it together as a starter. Um, and then came in after being injured and uh, had somewhat of a role as a reliever. And I think he had a couple good uh, relief stints, but uh, overall just wasn't, you know, didn't light it up. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's that's a pick I wouldn't doubt either. Um, Tom Murphy. Not not the biggest fan. Uh, Murphy played his. I think he's played his role in Seattle here, these past few seasons, um, and that was essentially be you know a veteran backstop while you've got catching prospects that you know like a Cal Raleigh that comes up the ladder. You know while Raleigh's not fully finished or polished by any means necessary, um, Murphy. I don't think he's done enough at the plate on the offensive end. Uh, as well as on the defensive end, has made some critical errors. Uh, one of them being in the one of the Angels games, uh, Murphy uh, was able to apply a tag um, on a crucial out, on a crucial run, and the ball squared out. Can't you know mistakes like that? Um, I don't know. Defensively, just didn't feel like he was doing it. So you know, if I'm if I'm in Jerry Depoto's big fancy chair. I'm not bringing back a guy like Tom Murphy. I believe he's eligible for arbitration uh, this offseason, and I would I would avoid that. Like, um, I would avoid it like a poop on the sidewalk. Um, oh, okay. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, another guy that I'm not the biggest fan of, Jake Fraley. Um, I know he had some exciting moments this past year. Uh, starting with the walk-off walk in the first game of the year against the uh, now playoff uh, San Francisco Giants, right? Uh, hit a walk-off walk, uh, had a mammoth homer in Cleveland. I know he had a grad slam. All of that stained by the fact that Fraley, in his best stretch of the year, right, you know, uh, had to miss that miss some time due to COVID and then just kind of hit a funk, and wasn't able to really just look like he did in that hot stretch. Uh, and you could argue that, you know, I had somebody talk to me in, you know, that last homestand that said, you know, Fraley kind of screwed us. Um, a lot of the players are put the Mariners in a weak position just because of them not being vaccinated. Uh, but also the fact that, um, you know, we're in that hot streak. You've you got Fraley, you know, going on that hot streak, especially with not having Kyle Lewis, you know, having an outfielder hit a hot streak is good. Um, for him to go down because of that and to miss some time and then just be in a funk after you, you know, had COVID, you win a few of those games. We're probably still going right now, considering how the Mets got bludgeoned and we not the that I said the Mets, the Rays. Sorry, how we bludgeoned the Rays earlier this year. You know, winning six of those seven games against them and then to see them get destroyed by the Red Sox. I don't know. Uh, uh, especially with the outfield being loaded anyway, you know, having Kelnick, having Lewis, having hopefully Hanniger next year, I would think, you know, and then 
more than likely at some point mid next year, you get Julio Rodriguez on the team. I think Frilly is the odd man out. I don't, you know, I feel like he's going to be somebody that uh, teams will see as value and we could probably trade him away for some sort of, some sort of piece. Do you have a response to that? No, I mean, I mean, like, I don't know. There's a lot of players on this team that I feel like are a little expendable and like pieces can be used to replace them. And I, I, I don't feel strongly about Fraley either way. Um, but the vaccine thing really bothers me. I also read that he was QAnon. Well, <laughs> yeah, not to get too deep into that, but that also bothers me. <laughs> um, and then this one's this one's kind of a question mark to me, because uh, this is me being a big boy and saying, well, I like this guy, but realistically, um, Evan White might not be a Mariner for a long time. I know that he's got his big contract right now. Um but and I'm, I'm an Evan White fan. I have an Evan White shirt jersey in the closet right now. Um, it's funny they made Evan White jerseys too. Oh, well, because he did win a gold glove. Won a gold glove, uh, showed some power, just doesn't have a consistent swing. And that's, the, that's something that can be fixed, you know, by spending time in Tacoma. You don't want another Mike Zanino situation where it's either a strikeout or a homer, right? Um, but with Ty France's year, you know, taking over first base and um, more than likely this team is going to look to add another infielder uh, in the offseason. I think that the Poto said that it, it kind of seals Evan White out of the equation. I feel like it's like, all right, sorry, the door's closed. Um, he has struggled to get consistency at the plate. But like I said, I feel like some time in Tacoma could fix that for him because um, even he didn't get that much time in Tacoma. He was a guy that kind of came straight up. Um but yeah, I, I'm not exactly confident that he's got a secure place here in Seattle for much longer. Um, your thoughts? That'd be a bummer. I, I don't know. That'd be a bummer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think it would too. I just, you know, if, if we're looking at it uh realistically i just don't know if he's got that spot moving forward you know what i mean yeah you know and there it, it begins to beg the question if we really need him and you know he was a gold lover and you know that that that's great uh but we also have Ty france yeah who probably unlikely but also could win <laughs> yeah i don't think Ty france is necessarily gold glover because he's not really flashing the rubber like uh we, is that what we call that? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Flash in the leather? Yes. Yeah, there it is. Flash in the leather like uh, White is, but at least he can hit. He's a consistent hitter. He's sturdy, hasn't had a long-term injury, and uh, has a little more veteran moxie in him. Not veteran necessarily, but just a little more experience. And at the end of the day, if White can find more success elsewhere, uh then that's just the case and you can't really blame the guy but you know of course see where it goes first but i i don't think i feel too strongly about evan white either way it would suck but eh. uh so with that being said i feel like the holes to fill you know if if we're shopping this off season um 
if if we're looking at priority, it's probably starting pitcher, yep. and then infielder, whether it be second or third base, because JP's sitting in shortstop and Ty France at first. Uh, but then I don't think it would hurt to bring in another uh, to bring in another uh, a veteran catcher. I don't think that would you know be something that would be wrong. Just to also help and uh, help develop Cal Raleigh. You know, keep him going. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, do you have any disagreements with you know sort of infield starting pitcher catcher? Um, no, I I wouldn't mind setting our sights heavily on second baseman though. You know, yep, yep. That's a, that's a pretty big exposure. You know, we have some utility that can go from first to third, and that's okay. Uh, France can go to either one. Even Toro can play third. There you go. But second is a pretty huge hole, and that we've been filling with the uh, ever replaceable Dylan Moore. So I, I, not Dylan Moore. Yeah, he's played second a couple times, right? Yep. Uh, that was like our second baseman for most of the year. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, my boy Gordon Beckham. I miss him every day. Uh, we Gordon. Just, that's his name, right? Oh well, there's a there's a thing you you might have been talking about Tim Beckham. I think I was. That was uh, 2019. There's also Gordon Beckham who played second baseman for us. So uh, I thought you were talking about D Gordon. I was like, oh yeah. Tim Beckham also played second base for us for a little bit. Wow, pulling uh, out the second baseman lore, I guess. It's weird how many random Mariners players I remember just because I like them so much, like Ryan Healy. Um, you liked Ryan Healy? I love Ryan Healy. Um, He's out there doing Korea stuff now. Yep. KBO. But I just, I got to say, you know, second base, I think to me is my first notch priority, or not my first notch priority. First notch priority is obviously starting pitcher. But after we get that out of the way, would love to see a nice second baseman fall into our laps. Yep. I mean, if you can get Marcus Simeon, I think you can call it good there. Um, but that's, that's if you can bring him here. Uh, main issues. Um, I think you need to add a consistent bat because there was a lot of. T- Oh God! You look at some of the first few months, the batting averages amongst the team. Um, so just, I think if you could, if it would, you know, it'd be really ideal to me if you could get one guy and just stick him in DH like every single day, unless you want to give a guy a day off, right? If you could, we do need like the classic DH again. I'm not Nelson. I miss him. I mean, he's out there. He was playing the playoffs. So. And now he's not. And thanks. now he's not. Thanks, but, Rays. Um, you gotta, you gotta admit, like not having that reliable DH to walk in, hit above two seventy. Yep. Uh, you know, designatedly hit consistently. Hmm? <laughs> and that's the kind of their thing. And our designated hitter was our our catcher. Okay. Uh, <laughs> who was not a very good catcher. <laughs> who also can't hit all that great. What no. was his ending, uh, batting average? Uh, not that high. No, but, it wasn't that great. But in any case, you're looking at, oh, uh, the sorry, it was a stunning 243. Jeez, um, that, that's our DH below the Mendoza line. Um, so, you know, we'd love to get a consistent bat on the team. 
I, I don't even care if it's DH. You could fix it in one fell swoop if you get a good second baseman. Um, I I just I'm at a loss with the, with with some of our team comps here, and I really hope a second baseman just kind of stumbles into our lap that can also hit really well. <laughs> Marcus Simeon, Marcus Simeon. Um, I think you kind of obvious. You need to add a starting pitcher. Um, and then staying healthy. I mean, if I was able to add Kyle Lewis and James Paxton to the year that these guys had, I think we're still in the playoffs right now, Bennett. <laughs> um, that's just me. But uh, yeah, uh, if you had at least those, if you just look at those two guys, let alone everybody else that got injured this year, probably, you know, looking at, still going on in the playoffs so that's that's just what i'm thinking um and i'm i'm excited to have those guys back um potential additions now this is like if we're this is potential and i'm saying this is surefire so i don't want any oh and that's so unrealistic um i mean if you look at the starting pitchers they're like at the top of the list there are like four solid guys that i think could really bump this team up i mean you look at these top two guys are probably like they probably will just sign back with the team that they're on right now i wouldn't doubt that they would but in the case that they say ah screw it i don't want to do that i mean clayton kershaw and max scherzer are free agents this year okay that's pretty unlikely okay right pretty unlikely but I, I mean, if for some reason Max Scherzer is like, ah, screw it. I don't really like being a Dodger. <laughs> I don't like being on the best team in baseball right now. What? Who said they're the best team in baseball? They're playing the best team in baseball right now. Who are they playing? The Giants. Oh, the Giants are pretty good. Um, maybe more realistic, uh, a guy like Marcus Stroman or Noah Syndergaard. I don't know how much starting potential Syndergaard has, though, because of his injuries. Wouldn't mind Syndergaard, though. Yeah. Um, But I'm not the best in, like, pitcher knowledge. So, I don't know. I just looked at some of the better ones. Uh, Second base, I mean, Marcus Simeon maybe looking at bumping Trevor Story over. Um, But, I mean, there's the, the pool is there. It's not like saying they're like, oh, there's nobody that's a free agent this year. No, the pool is there. It's just about, you know, who you can attract. And hopefully that money is actually, you know, it's been said in the, you know, the press conferences near the end of the year and then the end of the year press conference that the money is going to be open. The wallet's going to be there. John Stanton apparently has made that promise to Jerry Depoto. So eh, we'll see. Um, And then DH, I mean, Nelson Cruz, the opportunity is right there. It's all about, you know, fuck it. Give Nelson Cruz two years. Say, hey, buddy, can I come back and just play DH? You don't have to go and play in right field like they used to make you do. Just just go sit at DH. It's okay. Just hit the ball. That's all I need. Um, Do you have any potential additions that you thought about? Hmm? Yeah, I did write an NA for this one just because I, I don't know. My finger's not necessarily on the pulse of uh, MLB free agents right now. Um. Yeah, because, I mean, some of those guys would be nice, but I just don't know. You know, know, especially, I think the MLB is particularly tough 
uh, because guys on your radar can re-sign with their team at any given heartbeat. You know, there's not it's not as cut and dry as the NFL. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. In the NFL, you see people, their contract ends, you know they're gone. Well, especially with the NFL with uh, salary cap. Yeah, salary cap. Um, I know that we have, like, luxury tax, but that doesn't really stop some of these teams that you see. So it's all about payroll. Payroll. So I, I – I, I don't know anybody that I necessarily would really want us to go after that feels like we could. I mean, obviously, Trevor's story was the big offseason story this year, and that never materialized. And I don't think it should have materialized because where are we going to put him? Second base. I don't think so. Why would we do that? Uh, I guess because we need a second baseman and he could. <laughs> Why would. <laughs> I mean, but it's like, would he even do that? Yeah, that's what it comes down to, too. Is like, are these guys willing to sacrifice something like that? You know. So uh, we'll we'll see on that part. Um, I th- I think we both have the same answer for best game here. Yep, one sixty two. Yay! Um, I think that's obvious for several reasons. That game was just incredible. Um. And I think, you know, that that game, obviously not the two losses in that series, but that game should really open some eyes, you know, to people here, fans of baseball, say, hey, buddy, you're going to want to be around here for this. All this stuff for weeks and months, and Bennett knows, all this preaching I've done about, hey, man, you just got to be a little bit more patient. You saw some of that this mm-hmm. year. You saw some of it. So... It's all about how crucial this offseason is and actually uh, paying these guys. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, what to look forward to? I mean, do you I mean, do you have to look at anybody else to tell you this? Um, again, these guys that are young talent will get better this offseason. You've got a full offseason, not like a weird COVID offseason, not like 2020. You got a full offseason, get spring training. You know, Jared Kelnick's gonna get better. Cal Raleigh is gonna get better. Logan Gilbert's going to get better. Julio Rodriguez is probably going to get better. And he's not even with the Mariners, you know, major league club yet, you know? So these guys are going to get better. There's this thing called development and everybody like, as soon as like Jared Keldick's first game, it's like people were calling him a bust there. They're like, ah, the Mariners got fleeced. It's like he played one game, one game, <laughs> but he's 22 years old. And like, that's the thing with baseball dudes like don't really hit their prime and or whatever until like 26 right so fuck dude you know um more improvements to the ballpark i've had several conversations with people involved with the ballpark that said they're going to continue to work on it i know that they were well this is an improvement but they were doing a repair on one of the wheels on the roof um because i guess something happened with the roof wheel um but you know, next year they're opening up a um, open up a facility in the old pyramid uh, across the street. That's going to be, you know, sort of like a. Uh, I feel like they're trying to do a better job of, you know, game day experience outside of the ballpark, uh, similar to like, you know, like a Wrigleyville or the way that other ballparks have it. They have an actual like area around the ballpark, like Petco Park. You know, it's got great area around it. You know. Uh, they that's there's a good job I feel like they do with the actual stadium 
Uh, I think they're trying to expand that, expand that outside. And I was told that you ever been to a game Bennett and across the street, there's like this empty lot right next to the uh, like old Henry's tavern that used to be there. So if we would have made the playoffs or we'd had a playoff game, they would have put like a pregame tent there for people to get sloshed or whatever. So I'm under, I'm, I'm in the understanding that they're, they're wondering what to do with that lot. (laughs) that is that is something there so i mean they're working on it right um something else i'm looking forward to i'm hoping that people are seeing what happened this year you know with these guys and playing better than expected and they it brings more people out to the ballpark next year hopefully you know with vaccinations and with better stuff um we're able to continue to get away from the protocols that we've had to adhere to right uh, hopefully not all, because some people, some of you guys are really unsanitary. Um, <laughs> I still see people leave the bathroom not washing their hands. I'm like, damn, dude, you're going to go touch your wife or something with like that? You're going to go, like, high-five somebody? I don't want to touch your pee hands. Um, yes. But I'm I'm hoping that people see this and they, it brings more people out to the ballpark next year on a consistent basis, because, you know, we only had 17,000 people in the, in the ballpark um on the wednesday that we swept the the a's on you know before the angel series right and they were loud but think about how much louder they could have been with more people right so um i'd hope more people show up for that um and lastly you've got the rest of the farm system so you've got who rodriguez technically a matt brash but i guess they called him up i don't know how that's going to play out um you know george kirby brandon williamson's still down there emerson hancock um thanks there's some i don't know what you're talking about there are some guys down there that will continue noelvia Marte just got to uh ever i'm really mad i went to everett the day after his last game with the aqua Sox. i was like (laughs) like, why isn't he in the lineup they go oh um you've got the rest of the farm system look forward to and more than I, I also saw that Depoto said I would find it very hard to believe that Julio isn't with the team by midseason next year. So, you know, it's I, I I'm excited. I'm really excited. Um, uh, we should get to we've got post end of season press conference. I keep talking about the things that he said. Uh, Depoto noted uh, first bullet point: payroll budget will increase for next season. Uh, he's doubled down on that request to ownership, not doubled down as a physical denominator of how much money, but doubling down as a phrase that people use. I guess that had to be clarified. Um, another bullet point, he will wait to finalize their decisions on Kyle Seeger and Yusei Kikuchi until that deadline comes up. I think that's bullshit. I think they already know what they're doing with Kyle Seeger, sadly enough. Um, but I don't think they're going to pick up Yusei's four-year option the money that he's going to get from that would be insane. So I think you say he's just going to pick up the club option and we'll just call it good from there. Um, I don't like this one. He was not certain if Kyle Lewis or Evan White would be ready for spring training. Gary. I think that's bullshit. Part two, because Kyle was supposed to be good to go. He was going to be ready to go for September and then he suffered a setback. I am hoping that setback's not that bad because that's a really bad setback if that's the case for what he said. So I don't know. We'll see. I know Evan had like season ending surgery back in June. So I don't know. 
Um, both him and service said that they want to add offense and could do so at multiple positions, including at least one infield spot. Uh, and he expects JP Crawford to be with the Mariners uh, as our shortstop for a long time. So some interesting thoughts. Um, Bennett, do you have any, uh, sort of final thoughts to wrap up the recap? Uh, no, I I'd say, just be really excited for next year. This is a team that's trending upwards. I think, uh, dare I say, more than any other MLB team right now. So just, uh, I don't know, hold on to your seats, buckle those seat belts, and uh, get ready for next year. And that's the thing, too, is, you know, people go, oh, same old Mariners, always next year this. This is a different, you know, oh, maybe next year, you know, because – in 2018, I didn't look at the 2019 Mariners like, oh, maybe they'll do it this year. I don't look at a guy like Tim Beckham, Daniel Vogelback, Hunter Strickland and say, hey, they're going to do it. You know, an aging Felix Fernandez, you know, God bless Felix Fernandez, by the way. Um, I don't look at that group and say oh, I didn't get too excited. You know, it's like, ah, well, we got a baseball team, right? No to see you know jared kelnick out there to see jp crawford to see more than likely i'd say mitch hanniger to see you know hopefully a repeat performance from chris flexen uh to see this you know farm system continue to develop and move on it's exciting and um you know to bash my head on the wall effectively for you know since 2019 right bennett and to see that sort of come to fruition in that beautiful september that was i don't know it felt really good, but we're not quite there. So when I see, you know, hopefully late in the year, next year, Mariners have clinched a playoff berth. I will get down and cry a good amount just because we, I mean, we've bashed the table for months and months of this happening. And just to see all the stupid rhetoric, ooh, it gets frustrating after a while, but to see something like that come to fruition will be beautiful. Um. So that'll be exciting. And what an exciting year that we did have. Uh, so now the next thing that we have to look forward to is uh, free agency. And that will be interesting to say the least to see how that all plays out. Um, in league related notes, the MLB is finalizing a policy. You'll like this Bennett requiring, requiring all minor league players to be vaccinated before yeah. the 2022 season. I that- wonder Really down to the minors. <laughs> I just wonder how that will play out. What will he um, do? Huh? I said, what will he do then? Yeah. Uh, heading into our Sounders here, October 9th, they, oh, wait, no. This is your Homs Seattle spot. Homs has your back in any loving big brother kind of way. Our goal is to change the mental health conversation one heart at a time. Hom Seattle, that is H-O-M-S-S-E-A-T-T-L-E.com. Check them out. Um, Seattle Sounders regular season. October 9th versus the Vancouver Whitecaps. They would win that game 4-1. to one. Uh, Player of the game would be Kellen Rowe. Kellen Rowe, a federal way zone with three assists. With that win over Vancouver, Seattle moves to clinch a playoff spot. They are the second team to do so in the MLS. Uh, this is the 13th season in a row that the Sounders have done. So that's insane to think about that as well as the fact that. Um, hmm. Oh yeah. That, and with that win over Vancouver, 
they are first again in the Cascadia Cup standings. So uh, you always want to beat your rivals, especially Cascadia rivals. Um, so good to see that. Take care of business in front of the home crowd. Um, and to clinch another playoff for 13 years straight. Uh, and that, you know, they it, since joining the MLS again, they have not missed the playoffs. It's insane. It's insane to think about. And that speaks to, you know, the front office. It speaks to the culture that's been built and it speaks to the coaching staff. So good, good from top to bottom. Um, team related notes for Rui Diaz did not play for the Peruvian national team on Thursday as he was placed on the injury list. So rule after the last game he played for the Sounders came out with an injury, uh, decided to train on it, you know, despite that and injured it. So that's not good. Um, no real timeline on that uh, league related notes. The 2022 MLS all-star game will be hosted in Minnesota, Minnesota United's Allianz field will host the all-star game in 2022. Uh, this one's kind of funny sporting KC player bet on MLS games. Felipe Hernandez was hit with a season long suspension after he placed two online bets on non sporting KC matches. So he didn't bet on his own matches. Um, funny enough because KC is actually pretty good. Um, they're second in the Western conference. Um, but yeah, I guess he got too excited about sports betting here and just decided to go for it. Um, the Sounders sit at a 17 win, six draw, five loss record. They are number one in the Western conference and second in the MLS in points with 55. Their next match is October 16th at the Houston dynamo at 5 30 PM Pacific time. Seattle storm, uh, season recap. Uh, I know we're kind of, sitting on a heavy episode here so i'm going to try to pump through this uh mvp brianna stewart i mean it's brianna stewart's world we're just living in it uh this year stewie averaged 20.3 points per game 9.5 rebounds 2.7 assists shot 43 percent from the field 33 percent from three points was fifth in the nba wnba in total points third in points per game seventh in total rebounds fourth in rebounds per game fourth in total blocks third in rebounds Third in points, no, third in blocks per game. Sorry, I couldn't spit it out. Eighth in defensive rating, fourth in player efficiency rating, seventh in win shares, and added several trophies and a wedding ring to her name. Uh, so congrats on that. Um, uh, you know, got married, won EuroLeague MVP, won a EuroLeague title, won Commissioner's Cup MVP, continued to add trophies, uh, added a gold medal. Um, she continues to be the wedding, the, well, the engine that makes Seattle go. And it was obvious when she did not suit up, uh, it will be vital to not only re-sign Stewie, but also to perhaps give her a little more help, uh, defensive player of the year. I had Jewel Lloyd Lloyd had quite possibly her biggest year to date. And while most of it was in part due to our offensive explosions, scoring th- 37 points in the final regular season game of the year, which is a league scoring high, uh, her defense gained recognition as well. As a primary guard defender, she led the storm in steals per game with 1.5, averaged 3.3 defensive rebounds per game, and was labeled as a snub for one of the WNBA defensive teams this year. It will be crucial for Seattle to retain her as well as the rest of our big three. Uh, Comeback player of the year. There's no real... um, There's no real obvious choice for comeback player of the year for the storm. Uh, but I had to go with Mercedes Russell. Russell saw her minutes and her stats go all up compared to last year. While there's no clear candidate, as I mentioned, for an award like this, the case for Russell can be made pretty easily. Uh, in her fifth, fifth year in the league, 
She made big strides and showed flashes of great talent that if sustained could lead to another big jump next year. Uh, she did some great jobs uh, guarding some of the better big women in the league. Um, you know, Sara minutes and all her stats go up. So, I mean, if anything, it had to go to her. Um, surprise player of the year. I had to go Seth Talbot. Stephanie Talbot was part of the huge whirlwind of trades on that fateful Wednesday this offseason. I saw several players, including Katie Samuelson, who we will talk about in a sec, come to Seattle. In one of those trades, the rights to Stephanie Talbot were listed and seemed like a general afterthought. That wouldn't be the case as Talbot offered great defensive presence as well as being a key piece off the bench in terms of scoring. She was a great 3 and D player um, that, you know, she did see limited playing time uh, with Katie Lou Samus and beating her out for more minutes, but Talbot plays a key role off the bench and should be vital to this team's second unit if she's brought back next year. Uh, that decision could be made by Seattle, though, as she is a restricted free agent. Uh, so that decision could entirely be on Seattle to go ahead and say, hey, we're going to bring you back. Uh, new face of the year. I might be a little bit biased, but I had to go with Katie Lou Samuelson. Uh, Samuelson was acquired in exchange for the number one overall pick in this year's WNBA draft. Um, the Storm received some heat for this, as any number one overall pick holds immense potential value. Uh, considering the difficult draft coming out of the pandemic temp, pandemic year and some players not looking as strong as other drafts, um, it made sense that Seattle, you know, went the trade route and just said, screw it, we're going to get a player that we like as opposed to dealing with the draft. Samuelson has been a favorite of mine since before the draft, since before the trade. I remember actually I met Katie Lou at a Mariners game and she signed a baseball for me, funny enough, because I didn't have anything else. Um, but uh, it's not just a bias thing. Uh, she really started to catch on towards the end of the season. Uh, she's only 24 years old as well. She scored a crucial 18 points in that second round playoff game against Phoenix, which, you know, pretty helpful. Uh, and should have competed in the 3v3 Olympics had it not been for an unfortunate COVID test. Um, expect her to be even better next year as she gets more comfortable in the you know overall team as a whole. Uh, best guard had to go to Jewel Lloyd. Best forward had to be Brianna Stewart. Best big, I would go with Mercedes Russell. You might be able to argue for Izzy Magbagor in this position, but just because of how young Izzy is and how much that she might need to... Uh, improve on i would go with mercedes here um holes to fill point guard potentially you know assuming that brianna stewart and jewel lloyd are retained the next big question mark is sue bird what does she want to do retire or is she playing another year the 41 year old will need a hair apparent at some point and whether that is short in canada or somebody else this team will need another point guard on the roster if sue hangs up the sneakers uh big if the team, you know, the team has Ezzy Magbagor on a club option and Mercedes Russell is a restricted free agent, but the team could look to get a bigger presence inside, maybe a veteran player and move on maybe from Russell, unless they want to keep all three and have that big help uh, develop Magbagor uh, even more. Potential additions. There were three big women that I looked at, you know, that were free agents this offseason. Uh, Liz Cambage, Stephanie Dolson, Tina Charles, all three of these bigs are veterans that could help give Seattle both a key presence inside while also helping further on the development of Ezzy Magbagor. So um, I don't think you look to draft route at all. I think you look at a veteran presence free agency this offseason. Uh, the big question with that would be, will Seattle have the money or space to attract a veteran big is my real question in regards to that. And then... Um, 
the question mark that I have with another potential addition would be Kelsey Plum. Plum is a former Husky who has had a, pr- a resurgence this year in Vegas after missing most of last season with an injury, missing the finals. Uh, she's a free agent in 2023 and could come to Seattle maybe via free agency then. But depending on the decision that Sue Bird makes you know, regarding her retirement, uh, the store may be in need of point guard help sooner rather than later, and Plum could really flourish back home and maybe a potential starting role with Seattle. The main problems that the Storm face are cap space, for one, you know, having Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, Sue Bird as free agents, let alone everybody else that's a free agent, um, as well as just, you know, wanting to attract maybe another free agent. So cap space is an issue. Uh, another main issue is helping out both Stewie and Jewel. A lot of the time this year, it felt like both Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd were the only women who had things going on. You need to be able to get, you know, different options around the team. And then who has to go? If we're dealing with cap space and we're, um, and if we're just looking at things overall, um, mathematically, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. You're not able to keep everybody when it comes to, um, you're not able to keep everybody when it comes to uh, what was I going with this? You're not able to keep everybody when it comes to winning a championship uh, but when you've got as many good players as Seattle does um, year in and year out it's going to be hard to keep everybody so that is going to be a question how the front office handles that this off offseason. Uh, best game I would have to go with August 12th versus the Connecticut Sun um this was the Commissioner's Cup final game. This game seemed to be when Seattle really hit a sort of stride. Uh, their Olympians had returned. They won this game in a big blowout fashion against the Connecticut Sun, a team that Bennett and I saw in person uh, that had a first round bye in the playoffs this year, had the MVP in the most in the comeback player of the year. Uh, they blew them out 79 to 57 in this game. Uh, they had a great record still at the time, and then things kind of fell off. The wheels fell off. Um, players mounted up, injuries mounted up. You know, you played some great teams when they were hitting their stride, Chicago. Um, so, you know, best game, though, I'd say. Blowing out Connecticut in the Commissioner's Cup final, that was pretty cool. Uh, what to look forward to most? Playing back home in Seattle at Climate Pledge Arena, not having to deal with games in Everett. Uh, potential new additions, potentially adding to this team would be great. Another potential year, Sue Bird, if she decides to come back. Uh, getting to see developments from several younger players the continued rise of Jewel Lloyd, as well as more of Stewie's greatness. So uh, it's a good year for the storm could have been better, but overall I, I can't complain that much. We could be in a worse situation. Um, this is your time to check out Maestro athletics. M A E S T R O A T H L E T I C S Maestro athletics.com. Go check them out. Uh, heading into our sale of Kraken. Um, their last game they played was on October 5th at the Vancouver Canucks to wrap up the regular the preseason. They would win that game four to nothing. Play of the game would be Vince Dunn with two goals. Uh, I'd split that with Philip Grubauer, uh, who had 38 saves. So the Kraken finish up with a 4-2-0 uh, record in the preseason. Um, pretty good. Uh, Injury-related news, the Kraken had five players on COVID protocol leading up to the game against Vegas, which is on Tuesday, which is the day that this will be released. Uh, Jared McCann, Jonas Donskoy, Marcus Johansson, 
Jamie Alexiak and Kel Yarncroc were all placed on the COVID-19 list. These are all breakthrough cases as the Kraken are 100% vaccinated. Uh, and those players will all miss the game against Vegas, which is pretty key. Um, well, pretty key just because everybody's Vegas is all hyped about it. They've already marked it as a win in their uh, schedule. As one of the players said that, which is kind of interesting that you'd talk shit so boldly. Um, but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a pretty big game just because it's the first regular season game. Uh, it'll be under the lights. Uh, team related news: Climate Pledge Arena will become the first professional sports entertainment venue to serve Shaquille O'Neal's big chicken. Shaq's crispy chicken offerings will include the Kraken, which is a buffalo sauce, cream cheese, and blue cheese sandwich, um, among other things. Uh, and will also serve other sandwiches. Shaq also said, Climate Pledge Arena is the best arena I've ever seen. So, Run it back. What sandwich? What was that sandwich you just described? Sorry. The Kraken. It'll include buffalo sauce, cream cheese, and blue cheese. And and nothing else? No, it's a chicken sandwich. Oh, yeah. No, that sounds No, nah, they're just going to put a bunch of sauce on a bun. I, that's what I was confused about. <laughs> They're gonna they're gonna put they're gonna put buffalo sauce on the bun. They're gonna throw some cream cheese and some blue cheese. Say this is the this is the kraken eat it sauce sandwich. Yeah. Uh have you seen the video, Bennett, of Shaq on the scooter? <laughs> I have not. Well, I'm gonna show Bennett that video. Uh, but I gotta continue on with this. Um Oh, Shaq, uh, in a note that we'll add, we could add it to the um, Sonics part of the show. Shaq said that the store, the Sonics need to come back home. He said it's been too damn long. So much respect to Shaq Diesel for that. Um, that's, it's, I don't know, it's kind of cool to see Shaq in a, um, a Kraken sweater, let alone, you know, have him talk about the arena and the Sonics like he did. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, and then in other team news, Mark Giordano was named the team's first captain in team history. Um, that's a pretty big step to kind of get that out of the way. But considering uh, Giordano's, you know, uh, his time in the league and the veteran presence, he has, it makes sense. Um the other, the alternate captains, um, one second. The other, the alternate captains were Jordan Eberly, Yanni Gord, Adam Larson, and Jaden Schwartz. They all wear the A for the Kraken this year. Um, I'm going to show Bennett the video of Shaq on a scooter here. Here he goes. Look at him go. Okay, so I can't judge him too much because I do, I do use these to get around campus. Look at him go. Wee. <laughs> oh yeah look at him go dude kind of mad that i didn't like happen to see shack in seattle i love shack shack's great oh and then there's this video there's this picture of shack with uh with a hard hat on yeah it like barely fits his head. it's it's just kind of like resting on top of his head I love Shaq. He's always been like one of my favorite sports personalities. <laughs> Shaq. <laughs> Just doesn't work. Gotta love Shaquille O'Neal. Hopefully we can uh, have Shaq for one of the games this year. 
Um, and then last piece of Kraken related news, the team claimed forward Alex Bear Boulet off waivers from Tampa Bay. Whoa. I didn't even mean for that to do that. Um, and league related news. Okay. I got a funny story for you, Bennett. The NHL is investigating and battles sharks forward Evander Kane for providing a fraudulent COVID-19 vaccination card. Oh, Kane left off of the Sharks' initial roster while he is under investigation. Vander Kane, if you know the NHL, you know who this guy is. He's he's quite the story, Bennett. If you have the time, I would go and look him up. He's done some really stupid shit. Oh, um, Canadian. Oh yeah, he bet on he bet on his own games, and the Sharks suck. So you kind of tell who he's probably betting on. Uh, and then Canadians goalie Carey Price, who was a uh, pick candidate in the expansion draft for the Kraken, joined the NHL slash NHLPA program that deals with matters of mental health, addiction, and substance abuse. So best of luck to Carey uh, as he deals with whatever he's going through at the current moment. Looking ahead, the regular season opener is on October 12th at the Las Vegas Golden Knights at 7.15 p.m. That is the first Kraken regular season game ever. So that's a big deal. That'll be on ESPN. Um, October 14th, they will play at the Nashville Predators at 5 o'clock. October 16th, they will play at the Columbus Blue Jackets at 4 o'clock. And then rounding out the week, they will play October 19th at the Philadelphia Flyers with a 4 o'clock start. Uh, heading into our oil rain, October 10th versus the Chicago Stars, they would win that game 3-2. to two, Similar, excuse me, to their 2021 Challenge Cup uh, matchup earlier this year back in the spring. Uh, player of the game would be the Welsh Dragon, Josh Fishlock, with two goals in the first half. Her brace would help the rain beat Chicago um, in the rain, actually. Uh, it, it rained after the game, sorry. Um, and secure a playoff spot in this year's 2021 playoffs. So the rain are in second place. They are one point behind Portland. Uh, and they have a crucial matchup next week against Portland. Um so if they even if they tied against Portland, they would have the head-to-head record advantage and they would take first place. It's a big deal. Uh, injury-related news, the injury report against Chicago. Megan Rapino is still dealing with a right thigh injury. Uh, she was out for this game. It was reported that Megan Rapino should be available for selection for Wednesday's match against Portland, though. And then no Rosie White. Rosie White's off of the out uh, list for the first time all season. She is done dealing with that illness, so good for Rosie. Uh, and Allie Watt was also off the injury list. She's been off it for a while, but we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, I know. Allie Watt has been dealing with a rigorous knee injury uh, and finally got to play uh, in this game. She almost had a goal, but it hit the post, that damn post. So good for Allie. Uh, exciting to see. She's really fucking fast. Um, yeah, she was available for selection on Sunday and did play. Uh, she had been really rehabbing a knee injury for all of the season until this point. So good for Allie uh, and league related news. So you've probably heard about it to some extent. Um, uh, it's funny. Yeah. ESPN has been covering it, but they don't cover the normal league itself. The scandal around the league continues to take place. Um, mostly surrounding Paul Riley. Uh, former coach who uh, essentially blackmailed and gaslighted coach, uh, players into having sex with them. Um, he was fired by Portland for this, and Portland didn't disclose that. He was then picked, hired by New York. Um, 
and then was with the courage, the North Carolina courage until a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, uh, the players were effectively silenced that he had been in relations with that he had abused. Um, the players, you know, got the help of Alex Morgan. If you know Alex, you should know who Alex Morgan is. Morgan sent an email to the commissioner of the league and the commissioner's like, ah, yeah, we kind of looked, we didn't see nothing. It's like when you tell someone you're going to look for something and then you like go and stand in the back for like a, a minute and you come back out. Yeah. We didn't find nothing. Basically what happened. Um, so yeah, this is a big deal. Uh, the players did not play their games last week in solidarity. Uh, and in every game uh, since then, they've been stopping the game at the six minute um, and to show solidarity for the six years that this story, you know, went uncovered um, and both teams, uh, all teams in the post game press conferences have the option to avoid answering questions about the game and to focus on keeping the conversation on what's happening. So it's a big deal. Uh, and it's really crucial that, you know, you support these women in this league, not necessarily the, the organizations, but the women just because of what they're dealing with. Um, so updates, uh, Washington spirit players called on majority owner, uh, his name's Steve. Uh, I think it's Steve Baldwin, uh, to sell his majority stake in the team to why Michelle King after his decision to step down as CEO. Uh, North Carolina Courage owner Steve Malik said that the club knew of the 2015 probe into the disgraced coach, Paul Riley, but they were assured that he was in good standing. So they knew the guy was a sleazeback, but they said, oh, if he's OK, we can hire him. Right. Um, multiple matches pause in a six minute as players linked arms in a circle around midfield to demonstrate solidarity with the victims of the abuse. Uh, Portland Thorns GM Gavin Wilkinson under investigation for the club's handling of former players' allegations against Paul Riley. Uh, Liverpool and Sheffield United Women's Club's players locked arms in solidarity with their NWSL counterparts following the scandal. So this is a big deal. Um, and it's really shit that ESPN is only in, you know, other major, uh, other major news outlets are only paying attention to the NWSL now because the scandal is happening. It's like you're only showing up for the dirty laundry. Um, former U.S. Women's National Team midfielder Heather O'Reilly said that the U.S. Women's Soccer swept things under the rug to make the NWSL successful. So that is an interesting statement, and there was no context behind that. So that's interesting. Uh, to get back to the rain, the rain sit at a 12-win, one-draw, no, two-draw, seven-loss record. They're second in the league in points with – Oh, is it still 35? I have to make sure. But yeah, obviously, <clears throat> the bigger story right now is what's going on, uh, you know, with the league as a whole. Um, 38 points. Yeah. So they have the rain have 38 points and Portland has 39. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah, win would jump you to first place. A tie would also jump you to first place um and regardless you're making the playoffs this year so that is ridiculous to me considering how they started yeah they were in eighth place for a while in july they were bad and then they effectively flipped the switch um so looking ahead october 13th at the portland thorns that is a 7 30 p.m start this is the game that's being rescheduled uh, and then October 16th versus Washington, Washington. It's funny that the rain are playing Portland who was involved in the scandal, Washington, who was heavily involved in the scandal 
both back to back. So it's, it's a heavy week for our players. Uh, October 16th, they'll play the Washington Spirit at home at a seven o'clock start. Um, no Sonics news, no Dragons news. Uh, UW Athletics, uh, no Pac 12 or general college news, really. You know, football did not play. They had a bye week. Um, team news Zion, Zion Tupuola Fatui participated in his first full practice since injuring his Achilles in the spring. He could be available versus UCLA, but he may be held out till next week. That next week is October 16th versus UCLA, who has had some good wins this year. So that's concerning. Uh, men's basketball, uh, the dates and times were set for the 2022, 2020, no, 2021, 2022 season. Um, because we're pressed for time, I'm not going to read all that. <laughs> uh, men's soccer, October 7th at Stanford, they would win that game 3-1. to one. Stanford last won the Pac-12 in 2019. Uh, player of the game would be Gio Miglietti with one goal, one assist. October 10th at Cal, they would win that game four to nothing. Uh, player of the game would be Emmanuel Rosales with one goal, one assist. The win would give UW the best start in Pac-12 history at 11 and 0. Uh, team related news: Washington's 1.25 goals for average on set pieces is better than two Pac-12 teams' total goals for average in that span. UW has scored 10 goals in. 10 goals in the last eight matches resulting from set pieces. Uh, Ryan Saylor was named to the national team of the week. Uh, the second time in the last three weeks, the Huskies have now collected 10 different team of the week honors this season so far. Uh, and they were recently ranked number one in the league, in the league, in the country. So the team sits at 11 and 0. They are first in the, in the nation and first in the Pac-12. Their next game is October 16th at Gonzaga. Uh, the women's soccer team, October 7th, they would beat Cal 1 to nothing. Player of the game would be Summer Yates with one goal in the fifth minute. October 10th versus number 14, Stanford, they would lose that game, sadly. 1 2. Player of the game would be Ruby Hellstrom with one goal in the 56th minute. They sit at a three win, six draw, three loss record. They are unranked nationally and seventh in the Pac 12. Their next game is October 15th at Arizona. Uh, ending with volleyball, October 8th at Arizona, they would win that game 3-1. to one. Player of the game would be Samantha Drexel. 18 kills, 20.5 total points. October 10th at Arizona State, they would win that game 3-2. to two. Player of the game would be Claire Hoffman with 25 kills, 27.5 total points. They are 11-3, and three, uh, 11th nationally, 3rd in the Pac-12. And they will continue Pac-12 play October 14th at Oregon and October 17th at Oregon State. Oh, boy. We're pushing two hours, boys. So I'm going to have to cut it now. Uh, it's been quite a long episode, but we, you know, the two team recaps probably got in the way there. So yeah. Uh, with that being said, uh, we will see you all next week on October 19th. Uh, you guys have a good rest of your night. Baba boy.